Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Barefoot Church. Uh, I'm Pastor Steve, and uh, we'll start right away. In, in, a, in a section of the Bible um, called Acts. Now, Acts is written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke was a doctor, and um, his intent of writing both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which, which actually follow each other in terms of the story, was to give a true account of the doings and happenings of Jesus and of the disciples. And Luke does a really good job. He, his, his Greek is, is fantastic. His storyline is absolutely awesome. And so Acts is written by Luke. And the 27th chapter of Acts is, is rather remarkable. Um, some people say that it is so detailed and so specific of what's going on that Luke had to be on right there present at the time. Um, okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Uh, what this 27th chapter is about is about the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul has been arrested and has gone through all kinds of trials and situations in jail. And he, he, at this time, he has about 100 soldiers guarding him. Now, the 100 soldiers are guarding Paul and several other prisoners, but the centurion, the, the officer in charge, is, is sort of favorable to Paul. He likes Paul and allows Paul to have special privileges. And so we have Paul being transported up to Rome, and they're doing this by a ship. And so we have the, the, the centurion, the, the officer in charge, we have 100 soldiers who are the guards, and they're on a ship in the ocean. Now, the reason that this becomes extremely uh, interesting is there is a tremendous amount of detail about sailing. So anybody who has a maritime understanding or who you know, drives a boat or who uh, does any sailing at all, it makes sense. Now, most of the wording in here doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. But anyone who's been around a boat or a sailboat will understand. And again, it's very detailed. And bottom line is, uh, and it's, it's interesting, Jeff, that you mentioned the Nor'easter. The bottom line is uh, Luke writes about Paul's experience on this boat as it gets into a storm. And the storm is described as a Nor'easter. Uh, nor'easter and it's described as terrible winds just like a hurricane and so we we have this ship uh, filled with people and it gets into trouble in this huge storm a hurricane with terrible winds and nor'easter and so that the description is that it is so bad that the crew um the, the crew, which, which are well-equipped well and, and well-trained sailors, they throw over the cargo to make the ship lighter. So all the, the cargo that they're carrying, they throw overboard into the water, into the seas, uh, because the, chi the ship is, is being tossed around and, and it's dangerous. And so they throw over the cargo. Now, does that help? No. And so the, the, the uh, crew decides that not only are we throwing over the cargo, but we're going to throw over our equipment. 
So the ropes, the, the extra stuff they have, sails or whatever else for equipment, for their tools, their, their equipment, their, their uh, sailing gear, they throw overboard. And they throw some anchors over, um, several different kinds. And again, I'm, I'm not familiar with these terms, but several different kinds of anchors and they move the ship in certain directions, except they lose control and they, and, and so finally, uh, Paul uh, tells them that he has had an angel visit him. And he tells the entire crew this, including the soldiers and including the centurion, the officer, including all the ship crew, including all the other prisoners who were there and some other passengers who were on the ship. Now there were 276 people on that ship. So it's, it's not a small boat. And so these 276 people hear this message from Paul that I had an angel come to me. Now, an angel, you, you need to realize both in Old Testament and New Testament uh, is the messenger of God, the messenger of God. Angel means the messenger of God. And so the angel visits Paul and says, Paul, I'm telling you now that you will not be harmed, that all the ship is falling apart. They're throwing off all the cargo. They're throwing off the equipment but you will not be harmed. And Paul, everyone on this ship will be safe. Not one person will be harmed. And the angel goes ahead and says, Paul, not one hair on any head of this ship will be lost. So Paul has this message from the angel that no matter what it seems to be happening, no matter what it appears is happening, uh, not one hair on any head is going to be lost, that all of you will survive. All of you will not be harmed. So Paul gives this message to the crew, to the 275 others on the ship, and, and some of them believe Paul. Some of them are fearful, and they so they try to escape. And so what the crew does is they cut the ropes off the escape boats. So the little boats that are used for transport into the shore or for they're cut loose, and so they're floating along uh, on, in the storm. And they continue then, and Paul tells them to eat what they need, and, and then they throw all of the food overboard. So all the sacks of wheat, and it says specifically the wheat is thrown over. And so the wheat is thrown overboard. So now we have all of the cargo, all of the equipment, and all of the food now thrown over. And, and the important thing here I want to raise of this Acts 27, it, it get a, you know, if you get a chance to read it, it, it's interesting reading to say the least. The, what I want to raise though, these 276 people hear the message from God through the angel who was present, who tells Paul, um, you won't be harmed. Nobody on the ship is going to be harmed, that not one hair is going to be lost of any head in all of this. Now, as, as they drift along, they hit a sandbar, and the back of the ship is, is being torn back and forth and being torn apart. And the rule of law is, for the centurion, the officer, and the 100 soldiers, the rule is that if there is going to be a breakup of the ship, then all prisoners are to be killed, that they can, the prisoners cannot escape. So Paul is scheduled to be killed, along with the other prisoners on the, boat, on the ship. And the centurion, since he likes Paul, orders the soldiers not to kill the prisoners. 
leave the prisoners alone. And so everyone, 100% of the 276, make it to shore safe and sound. And again, this is the word of the messenger of God, angel. Angel means messenger from God. Now, a little play on this. Um, I, I've, I've been reading and, and hearing a lot of word about uh, angels late, recently. And, you know, part of it is that, that as you die, you become an angel. That's false. Uh, I've heard that, uh, that people, uh, when God approves them, they become an angel. And that, that's false. Angels are a spiritual being that were made by God to be messengers of God. Now, what's interesting is uh, Satan, uh, the devil, was an angel. Uh, one of the top angels uh, of God. And the great fall of Satan, the great fall of that angel is significant because that led to then the garden and the fall. And so angels of Satan and angels of God are messengers. And, and believe it or not, there is a battle going on. And many times we get, a, we get a picture of angels like on cards and drawings and stuff of little things that would have their wings and a little round thing, the halo. Not so. Uh, angels come in, in many different forms. Uh, they're spiritual beings sent by God in, in, in for believers to deliver messages from God. And sometimes it's a message that is a, a verbal or an oral message. Sometimes it is an action. And, and we'll be looking at some of those things of angels that God sends to, to us for a reason, for a purpose. Now, in, in terms of hierarchy, there's, there's been all different kinds of discussion on that. The, we know God is most high God, uh, El Elyon, the most high God. We also know that somewhere in there, God has created people. God created you. God made you special, individually, uniquely, wonderfully, and, and fearfully made. Uh, Psalm 139. And, and we know that angels are just above human beings. So God's messengers are just above humans as long as we're alive. Once death occurs, once we die and are accepted in the presence of God, we then become over angels. Our relationship is directly with God, no longer through an angel. We are in the presence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely, totally. So we, we have this relationship with God because of Jesus, Father, Son, and because of then Father, Holy Spirit. And, and we also have messengers from God that enter into our lives. So, so that's Acts 27. Now there's another place uh, that, I, that I just wrote and showed you a picture of an anchor and, and a, a picture uh, with some wording on it. And that wording that I gave you is from Hebrews 6. Uh, verses 18 and 19, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, goes like this. We who have run from our lives, one, run, one, <laughs> we have run, we have, we have raced for our lives. We have, um, in order to save our life, we have absolutely run toward God. We have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and hold on forever. And so the picture of this opening of Hebrews 6, 18 is that we have been forced to run to God. And not only have we run to God, but we have grasped with both hands the hope that he promises us in Jesus Christ, in Holy Spirit, because of the Father. 
and we hold on. We never let go. We grab with both hands and never let go. This hope, which is in God, our hope is in God, is the anchor for my life, firm and secure. That hope is Jesus. And, and the picture I sent you and, and with the scripture is, is because this is our understanding of, of Jesus in our lives. The hope on whom we trust, the hope on whom we dwell. Another, another uh, scripture that we're running into is that we live, we tabernacle, we tent with God. We tent with the angels. We tent, we live, we dwell with Holy Spirit. Another place I want to touch is, is one that I, I listed in the invitation as, as one of the scriptures of focus, and that's the Psalm scripture. Psalm 91, and specifically, uh, starting with verse 9, it goes like this. Because God is your refuge, in other words, my safety, my refuge, my protection is God. The high God, El Elyon, the high God is your home. And again, here's the picture of I dwell, I live, I tabernacle, I tent with the high God. So high God provides my home. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, provides my dwelling. And not only that, he is my refuge, my fort, my protection. Evil cannot even get close to you. Once our belief is there, once we believe in Jesus Christ, the protection is that evil can't even come close. Harm cannot even get through the door. Because of our dwelling in high God, because of the refuge, the protection of the fort, evil can't come close, harm can't get through the door. And remember, Paul is told by the angel, no harm, not even one hair of your head. Harm can't get through the door. For God, God has ordered his angels. Now, the wording ordered here in, in, in Psalm is that God has commanded. God has placed an order. God, the most high God, has placed an order to the angels, to his angels, to guard you wherever you go. Now, this is an understanding that God has said, my angels are to protect you. My angels are sent to give you refuge, to give you protection, to guard you to guard you. Now, what's interesting, this is, this is from the Psalm number 91, that God has ordered his angels to guard you wherever, wherever you are, wherever you go. So God's angels protect me. God's angels protect you wherever, however, whenever we are. Now, it's interesting because this is picked up. Psalm, Psalm 91 is picked up uh, somewhere else. Um, it's picked up in, in uh, the, uh, the uh, verse in uh, Exodus 23. And, and Exodus 23 goes like this. Um, Exodus 23, 20, verse 20. One verse. Get yourselves ready. Now, the word being here from, from the word is in Exodus, get yourselves ready. And, and that word is coming directly from God, from Yahweh, from Jehovah. Get yourselves ready, because I am sending an angel. I am sending an angel. 
So God says, I'm sending one of my messengers. I'm sending an angel to be ahead of you. So an angel goes ahead of us. And what is that purpose of the angel going ahead of us? To guard you in your travels. The angel is sent by God as messenger. The angel is sent to go ahead of us for the purpose of guarding, to keep us, to protect us in your travels. That angel is sent to you by God, continuing the verse, to lead you to the place that I have prepared for you. God has something in mind. You know, I've talked about the future. Our future is in God's hand. Our hope is in God's hands. And here we have again, the purpose of the angel to go ahead is to guard us and to lead us to the purpose, to the place where God has prepared for us. And remember, Jesus told his disciples there at the last, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And here we have, clear back in Exodus, God saying, I'm sending the angel to go ahead of you to guard you and to lead you to that place which I have prepared for you. So Old Testament wording comes into New Testament, again, from Exodus and from Psalm 91. Now, another little story I want to talk about comes from, from the book of Numbers. And this comes from uh, Numbers um, chapter 22 and, and kind of focusing on, on verse 31. Now, in, in, in Numbers 22, we have an interesting story. And you'll remember this. Uh, a guy by the name of, of um, uh, Balaam is, is to go to this place. And, and Balaam gets on a donkey to ride uh, his, his truck of the time, his, his uh, Ford 150 or his, his uh, whatever car. And, and he gets on his donkey, he gets on his uh, transportation and, and begins driving or begins riding, as it were. And, and um, the donkey, um, the donkey sees an angel standing in front. And, and the angel, again, is not a little uh, uh, winged thing with a halo. The angel is a huge, monstrous warrior angel. And the angel has the armor on. The angel has the sword, a huge sword. And the donkey sees the angel standing there in the road. And so the donkey, rather than go toward the angel, goes into the field to the side. And, and Balaam uh, does not see the angel. Balaam only knows that his car now is going somewhere else. His, his truck now is headed, his donkey is headed somewhere else into the field. So Balaam, um, not very happy uh, with his transport, uh, gets off and beats the daylights out of the donkey. You know, how dare you? What's the matter with you? Uh, get back and get busy. So Balaam gets the donkey back on the road, gets back on the donkey and rides on down the road. Now, the donkey uh, is in a place that is, is um, rather narrow. And, and so the donkey is, is following the road, and the road gets more and more narrow. And, and there's, a, there's a ridge on, on the side. And the angel stands there again in, in this narrow spot in the road. And again, the donkey sees the angel. And so um, the donkey, in order to avoid the angel, gets over to the side of the road and catches a Balaam's leg and hip and foot against the wall, against the ridge. Again, Balaam is not exactly happy. 
and he gets off the donkey and beats the daylights out of the donkey. And, and so Balaam now has two experiences, the donkey running off into the field, and now the donkey crushing his leg, foot, hip into the side of the cliff, inside of the rock. And again, this is all numbers 22. And, and so Balaam uh, gets the donkey back on the road and away from the cliff. It gets back on the donkey and says, giddy up. And, and so the donkey uh, now is going down the road and, and the road just isn't narrow. Uh, the road gets very narrow. And again, the angel stands in front of the donkey. The donkey sees the angel with the sword drawn. And again, not a little feathery thing. Um, and, and so the donkey, having nowhere to go and no way to get, just lays down, uh, squats down, just gets down. And again, Balaam um, is, is not happy. And so Balaam starts beating the donkey and being rather upset to say the least. And, and the donkey um, says, says to um, Balaam, uh, what are you doing this for? Why are you beating me? Haven't I always been the one who was the, the faithful truck for you, the faithful car? Haven't I always been the one that is your faithful mount? Why are you beating me? Why are you hollering at me? Now, the fact that the donkey talked to Balaam, you know, is kind of surprising, but Balaam um, doesn't exactly understand what's going on. And so suddenly, the third time that Balaam is is angry with the donkey and, and does damage to the donkey, uh, the angel appears to Balaam. And so for the first time, Balaam sees the warrior angel. Balaam sees the sword. Balaam sees the armored book. Balaam sees the angel that the donkey has seen all along. And the donkey um, is, is given a pass, basically. The angel says to Balaam, if the donkey would not have followed what the donkey was to do, run off into the field, scrape your leg, catch your leg in this cliff, lay down, I would have killed you. The angel says to Balaam, if the donkey would not have done this, if you would not have gone through these experiences of the sideline, of the hurt, the pain, of stopping in the middle of the road, I, the angel, the messenger of God, would have used my sword. I would have killed you. Do you understand that sometimes we go through things because it is to save us, that we might learn something, that we might re depend upon God even more fully, that we don't clearly see everything that's going on around us. Let me say it again. Sometimes we don't understand because we don't hear what's going on around us. We don't see with our eyes what's going on around us. There's more to our life than we can possibly understand. And that's what we have here in the angel giving direction that we don't even know about. The angel guarding and protecting us and leading us to that place which is prepared for us even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when we have no conceptualization of what's going on. Did you understand that? This is coming here for, you know, 
because of the donkey. And I, I more than enjoy the King James version of this, but I won't go there. Um, another place I want to talk about, very something very similar to this, is, is in Second Kings, and it's it's Second Kings of uh, chapter six. So the writing in Second Kings chapter six, well, it's 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 much of chapter six, but I'm looking specifically at, at verse seventeen. Now again, a little bit of background. Um, Elisha, the prophet Elisha, uh, is in a situation where he is being attacked. Uh, an army, a, a, an enemy army, has surrounded the area where Elisha is. And they are warriors. They are a very well-trained army. They are enemies. They want to do damage not only to Elisha, but the entire city. They want to destroy Elisha uh, specifically. And the, the entire surrounding area is under siege. Now, Elisha is taking this rather calmly. And his servant, a young man, his, his servant, uh, is absolutely terrified. Elisha, don't you see these soldiers coming after you? Don't you see that we are surrounded by these trained soldiers who are trying to do damage, who are trying to destroy us? What's the matter, Elisha? Why are you so calm? Don't you see what's happening around us? And Elisha's um, comment to the servant, Elisha's comment to the young man is don't fear, have no fear. And the, the young man is, is, is rather surprised. And, and so Elisha's comment after that, don't, don't fear, don't, don't be afraid, is there's more on our side than there is on their side. So Elisha says, you know what? You see all these soldiers surrounding us that are well-trained and with all their swords and everything else. Dear servant, there's more on our side than there's on their side. So what are you worried about? And, and so this is kind of confusing to the young man. And Elisha seems to, to understand or see something that the young man does not. So what Elisha does is he says um, to the Lord, he says, he prays to God, he says, open my servant's eyes, open this young man's eyes. So let the young man's eyes be opened that he, my young servant, my young man, can see the angels that cover the whole mountainside that is full of horses and fiery chariots. And so what, I, what Elisha has been seeing is, yes, we are surrounded by these warriors that are trained and, and well-equipped, but I see God's warriors, the warrior angels that are in all, all the horses and all the fiery chariots on all the mountainside around them. And so what am I concerned about? God's angels who are even better trained, God's angels who are even more equipped have the horses and the chariots on fire, and, and they are there to take care of us. So have no fear, young men. I see something differently. I see beyond. I see something that is completely unnatural that is available to me because I know the Lord God. And that, that's 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. Now there's another place that, that I want to 
uh, talk about. And, and that is, is found uh, in Matthew. Um, and it's, a, it's an extremely well-known area of Matthew. It's, it's chapter 26. Uh, Matthew 26, and, and as you remember this, this is part of Jesus's farewell with his disciples. Uh, they've had the, the Last Supper. They've had the feed washing. They've had the, the installation of the bread and cup. Um, and they remember they, they had the reading of the Psalms. Um, they have had their songs and singing together and the recitation. And they leave the room, the upper room, and they now go to a garden, to a prayer place, to a place called Gethsemane. And so we're Matthew 26 and specifically verse 53. Now, remember that Jesus goes to the garden to pray and he takes some disciples with him. Some stay at the one place and others goes and Jesus goes ahead and he's by himself praying. And while Jesus is praying, the way that, that Matthew describes this is, a large crowd comes with clubs and swords. Now, another translation has it like this. A tremendous crowd gathers, and they have heavy sticks and long, sharp knives. And so Jesus is praying. The disciples are there, some asleep, some. And a large crowd comes. And we know that there were soldiers in the crowd also because they had the authority to, to take Jesus into custody. And their intent was to, to follow Judas, to identify Judas's job was to identify which one was Jesus so that the soldiers could arrest him. But the rest of the crowd is there with sticks, clubs, long knives, swords to also take part in this. They're coming after, after all, this Jesus and those who follow him. But their intent is to arrest Jesus, to have him tried and convicted and killed. And so the disciples um, are, are happy that, that Jesus is going to be arrested. No, no. They're not happy and they're not angry. They're terrified. They're scared. They have great fear. And, and part of the fear within them, uh, remember one of the disciples grabs his own knife and cuts off the ear of someone. And, and Jesus uh, heals the ear. But Jesus tells the disciples, knock it off. Knock it off. But then Jesus tells the disciples something remarkable that, that many of us walk right through and don't even recognize. Jesus tells the disciples, don't you know that if I wanted, I could call 12 legions of fighting angels to be right here with this large crowd? Now, an interesting, an interesting understanding here, a legion of, of military, and his, terming, his terminology here, the 12 legions, is, is from the Roman military understanding. Now I told you a centurion was in charge of 100 soldiers. A legion is about 6,000 soldiers. A legion, one legion is about 6,000 soldiers and they're led 
by multiple leaders. They are trained. They are warriors. They are fighters. Uh, they do well. And so what Jesus says is, this crowd comes with their sharp knives and with their clubs, and they come to arrest me. But don't you realize that I could have called 12 legions of warriors, of angels, to be here to destroy them all many times over? And Jesus tells his disciples, don't you realize I could have called 72,000 fighting angels? Why would I fear them? Why would I fear this group that's coming down here with their clubs and little knives? When I know that I could have had, and the wording here in Greek is more than 72,000 fighters right here now to destroy them and everything around. Don't you know that we're protected by 72,000 warrior angels? Another way of putting that is, disciples, don't worry. We've got this covered. This is part of the plan. That if I wanted, I could have, but I'm choosing not to. Because there's a plan here that has to be carried out. And why am I doing this? Because the Father so loved the world. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son for us because of great love that we might have life everlasting. Now, it, it's, it's time sometimes to sort of remember that there's more to life than what we think. There's more to life than flesh and blood. There's more to life than those things we go through or those things we think we see because sometimes our eyes are closed. Sometimes our hearts are cold. Sometimes our relationships aren't the relationships that lift us up in the Lord, that encourage us in God's love, that encourages us one with another to worship the Lord God Almighty that remind us, that we, we, we forget to remind each other that no, we, we have Holy Spirit in our lives who dwells within us. We have the discernment gifts. We have other gifts of healing. We have other gifts that God gives us, the Father gives us, that we might remember the teachings of Jesus. We have the thousands of angels who are available because God sent them to guard us, protect us, guide us, to let us know that God has the very best for us in mind, that he made us, he loves us, you, each and every one of us, each and every one of you are made in the image of God, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God said, this is very good. You are very good because you've been made by God. Let us pray. God, you give us um, the anchor Jesus on whom we can trust, we can hold on to, uh, we can have solid rock for our feet. God, we, we know 
that you have plans for us. You've prepared for us the room. That, Lord, you have prepared for us the path, the way, who is Jesus. The uh, solid rock, the living water, the new life, the light, who is Jesus. And, Lord, we know that you provide us with protections that we don't even see and don't even know about. And, Lord, we know that you provide us Holy Spirit in our lives, who dwells, who lifts us up, who guides us, who directs us, who encourages us, who stands beside us as advocate, as the comforter, as the Holy One who gives us vision, who gives us hearing, who gives us the heart that understands, who helps us remember what you taught us. Lord, our hope is in you. Our life is in you. Our future is in you. Let us, Lord, build up each other and remind, oh God, we praise your name. We give you glory and honor and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Love you.